0: You'd like to follow, and your Bibles were in John chapter four. I'll never forget a conversation I had with a coworker. We were we were loading trucks together, and I was telling him about my faith in Jesus and how Christ loves him and died for his sins. And the man stopped. He had this forlorn look on his face, and he said, he "says You don't you don't know me." you don't know what I've done in my life. You you don't know all the sins that I've committed. Jesus would never accept me. There are those who feel too unworthy to be accepted by Jesus. On the other hand, there are those who believe Jesus is too unworthy to be accepted. There are skeptics who Question: the historicity of Jesus, the critics who uh, despise the words of Jesus when he talks about sin, judgment, and hell. There's psychoanalysts who believe Jesus uh, was mentally ill. He was delusional when he said that he was God. Philosophers who believe that Socrates is uh, a greater figure than Jesus those who are part of other religions who honor their prophets rather than Jesus. And there's well-meaning people who see Jesus as a wonderful person, a great teacher, a moral leader, uh, but not to be worshipped as Lord and Savior. This morning's passage speaks to both groups. It really speaks to every one of us. Let's pray. Our Father, may your Spirit today help us to see ourselves and where we stand before you. And even more so, help us to see Jesus for who he is and what he offers us. Bring home the reality and truth that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. A few weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 3 and Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. And John ends that conversation by saying that whoever believes in the Son of God will have eternal life. John 3.36, before he begins his Story about the conversation of Jesus with the woman at the well, he says almost the same thing. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. See, there's a connection that John has between these two stories, and Jesus is the solution for both of them. You have people who could hardly be more opposite than these two. Nicodemus was a man, she was a woman. Nicodemus was a Jew, she was a Samaritan. He was very religious, she was not. He was highly respected, she was an outcast. He was a powerful figure, she was powerless. He had the right religion, she was following the wrong religion. But John puts these stories back to back, to, on the one hand, through Nicodemus, say, no matter how religious or good or respected you seem to be, you need Jesus Christ. And through this story with the woman at the well, he is saying, no matter how sinful, no matter how far you've moved from God, you are welcome to him. So if Nicodemus and the woman both need him, and both are welcome to them, that means every one of us, Needs Jesus Christ and is welcome to him. Our passage begins with Jesus leaving uh, Judea and traveling up north to Galilee. He's making this journey because even though he was very successful and there are many people believing in him, in Judea the Pharisees had discovered uh, his growing popularity. And Jesus knew that there'd be impending persecution, and this wasn't his hour. So he needed to travel north where he wouldn't be pursued. And John says that he had to travel through Samaria. And as we've seen before, John often has double meanings to his words. On one hand, he had to travel north. He had to go the main route, and the ordinary route was to travel right through Samaria. But there is a spiritual significance as well that God had a divine appointment for Jesus the woman at the well. And so he travels to and stops at a well, Jacob's well. He's tired, he's exhausted, he's hungry, he's thirsty. The scripture says he's weary. So he sends his disciples off to to get some food in the town. And while he's sitting there, a woman approaches and she has a jar that she's going to fill with water. So Jesus says to her, give me a drink. And with those words, Jesus breaks three cultural barriers. The race barrier, the religious barrier, and the gender barrier. As it's brought out by the woman, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? She is surprised that he's broken through these barriers. And for many people, they would not only be shocked, They'd be highly disappointed in Jesus, critical of him for stepping across these lines. But see, Jesus never cared about what other people thought of him. His concern, his focus was solely on the need of this woman. The barrier between Jews and Samaritan was great. There was tremendous animosity between the two groups. The Jews saw the Samaritans as half-breeds who were worshipping a false god. Samaritans had perverted the true religion of Judaism in their eyes. See, In 1722, the Assyrians came into the northern kingdom into Samaria. They conquered it, and they took many of the Samaritans captive, dispersed them into a number of different foreign nations, and then they brought people in from the foreign nations to live among the Samaritans. And, of course, over time, they merged together. They intermarried. And historically, the Samaritans stopped their study of Judaism at the fifth book of the Bible, at the the Pentateuch. And so that's all they accepted as the word of God. They did not read the prophets. They did not read the rest of the history. And so they ended up with a twisted, truncated version of Judaism. The animosity was so great that About 150 years earlier, the Jews had actually destroyed the Samaritan temple that was on Mount Gerizim. So the animosity was great. and So this woman's first picture of Jesus is this uh, wearied, weak, needy traveler who was an adversary. So she said, how is it that you ask me? It's almost as though she's saying, how how dare you ask me for a drink? And we see that's the case because in Jesus' next words, he not only points out what he is going to offer her, but he speaks about himself and who he is. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. At this point, the woman has only seen a weary Jewish traveler, and so she's probably taken aback by the fact that he points to himself as someone very special who can give this water. And while she's probably pre, uh, interested in what he's, this water he's talking about, uh, she doesn't think highly of him, for this is Jacob's well. Who do, Does he think that he's better than Jacob? And That's what she asks. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Or, and by the form in which she asked this question in her mind, the answer is, no, of course not. You cannot be greater than Jacob who wrestled with, with God. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, who the nation is named after who provided this well for us had this land you think you're greater than him but Jesus persists he says whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life and this picture that Jesus gives her, draws her to want this water, even though she's still thinking in physical terms and she doesn't realize how incredible in spiritual terms this water is, she is drawn to it. But Jesus is offering this water not only to the woman, Jesus offers this water to every one of us. He is saying we all have a thirst. We all have a thirst for meaning, belonging, security, hope, peace, rest, fulfillment that he can satisfy and only he can satisfy. And we try to to satisfy that in so many different ways. Uh, Boris Becker was uh, at the top of uh, the, the tennis pyramid in the 1980s. While he was at the top, he said this. I'd won Wimbledon twice before, once as the youngest player. I was rich. I had all the material possessions I needed. It's the old song of movie stars and pop stars who commit suicide. They have everything, and yet they're so unhappy, I had no inner peace. He had a thirst. He thought fame and fortune would satisfy. It didn't. Philosopher Blaise Pascal has often been paraphrased uh, to say, we all have a God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill. Augustine searched for fulfillment in philosophy, pleasure, religion, he finally found it, what he's looking for in Christ. In his autobiography, he wrote, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. He found his rest in Jesus Christ. It's the only place. And so while this woman says, give me this water, Jesus now points out the barrier that's keeping her from having her thirst satisfied. It's the fact that she has turned turned away from God into something else, actually, to men to satisfy it. She, like the rest of us, is an example of Jeremiah 2.13, which says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Instead of turning to God for the fulfillment for this living water, we spurn him and we turn to power, possessions, people, position, thinking, These will fulfill us, but they don't. Our cisterns don't hold water. Jack Higgins, a well-known author, was once asked what he would like to have known when he was little. He answered that when you get to the top, there is nothing there. This woman turned to men and so Jesus asked the question asked her to go get her husband and bring him her answer is I don't have a husband and then Jesus points out the real God she was serving he says you have five husbands you've had five husbands and the one you're living with now isn't even your your husband he's pointing out the sin that is keeping her from the living water. Now, when we think of sin, we rightly think of disobeying God's commands or usurping the throne of our lives that God should have. But sin is also called idolatry. It's called idolatry because in idolatry, we replace the true God with worshiping and serving a false god. In our lives, sin is idolatry because we should be turning to God for our fulfillment, but instead we turn to other gods, other things, that again won't satisfy. Sin is also called adultery. Why is it it called adultery? Because God loves us. He built us for an intimate love relationship by which he will fulfill us and satisfy us. He is the one who will give us an abundant life, the peace, the security, the rest, the love, the purpose, the meaning that we're looking for. But instead of turning to him for our satisfaction, we turn to other lovers, other things. And this woman turned literally to other lovers to fulfill what only God could give her. Having been shown why she doesn't have the living water that Jesus offers, having her sin uncovered, her shame and guilt exposed, she does what many of us do first is deny it i have no husband it's difficult for us to face our sin to face our guilt we have all ways of denying it explaining away justifying it but she also turns to another tactic that we use and that is let's talk about religion and so she responds and said "Oh, i see you're a prophet." She's impressed that he knows these things about her. But she's not his prophet. And she says, Oh, we worship, we Samaritans, we worship God and we worship on Mount Gerizim and you worship God and you worship him in Jerusalem. But the the sense is, you know, but, but we're worshiping the same God. We're all the same God. It's just a different place. And so let's talk about religion, not about sin, not about me. Jesus doesn't let her get away with it. He says, oh, true, God wants worshipers. He wants worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. And you Samaritans don't worship in truth. See, you worship what you do not know. You have, because you've stopped after five books, you do not understand the whole process of salvation, the provision for salvation. Salvation comes from the Jews. And we see that because the Jewish sacrificial system declares to us that there needs to be a living sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sin their feasts like Passover and the Day of Atonement cry out that we are guilty and that God's justice needs to be satisfied the prophets point the way to the Messiah who is going to be that sacrificial lamb to pay for our sin to satisfy the justice of God Judaism points the way to salvation, which is found ultimately in Jesus Christ. And Jesus goes a step further, and he talks about the fact that worship is no longer going to be directed to a particular place. Jerusalem is not going to be the place, even though the temple is there, God resides in the pe- temple, that's the place to worship. There's a time coming when Jerusalem, Lord, garrisons the place to worship. And he says it's even now. The time is now. Why? Because Jesus is the temple of God. He was the very presence of God in their midst. And the time is coming. Because when Jesus dies on the cross, the curtain that separates the place of service of the priests from the Holy of Holies where the very Shekinah glory presence of God resided was torn from top to bottom, symbolizing that there is complete access to everybody everywhere through Jesus Christ. As Jesus reveals these truths to her, the Spirit of God must begin to work. She begins to think about her view of the Messiah. Her view of the Messiah was different than the Jewish view. The Jewish view was that the Messiah would be a liberator king. But because they stopped in the fifth chapter, their view of the Messiah was from Moses' prediction that a great prophet would come. He would have incredible teaching, and he would know all things. And so she begins to wonder about him. She says, well, we do know that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At that point the the disciples return and we see the woman leaves to go back to her village to tell them about Jesus. But she leaves her water pot behind. Again, John has double meanings. She's left her physical water pot behind. She doesn't need it anymore because she's found the real water, the spiritual water in Jesus. We know that because she goes there and she says, come, see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She believes he is. It's interesting to see what ultimately turned that woman from Seeing some weary traveler to seeing him as the Christ. Her words are, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. It's Jesus's knowledge, intimate knowledge of her, that turned her heart. See, Jesus knew everything about her. He knew that she had five husbands, he knew she was living with a man who wasn't her husband. He knew she was a sinner. She knew, he knew she wasn't pursuing God, that he, she was, had the wrong religion, that she lived in a life of shame, that she felt guilt, that she was ridiculed. He knew everything about her, how unworthy she was. But Jesus offered her living water. she could have that in him. You know, there are those who feel too unworthy to accept Jesus. Let this woman's story reassure you that Jesus knows everything about you. He knows your sins. He knows your real motivations your goal. He knows you pushed him aside. That maybe even you've mocked him or ridiculed his teaching. He knows that you may have even persecuted him. He knows all of your thoughts and intentions. And yet, he loves you and he is offering you living water. There are those who believe that Jesus is not worthy to be accepted. Let this woman's story show a pathway to you. Note the progression of her view of Jesus. At first, she sees Jesus as a weary traveler, in a sense, an opponent, a Jew. Then somebody who can't measure up to, to Jacob. So his offer, he must be a charlatan. Then as she listens to him more, she begins to respect him and calls him sir. Then when he reveals his understanding of her, she realizes he's a prophet. And then a step further after more teaching, she comes to understand him as the Christ. And then we see a verse we didn't read, that she must have joined the Samaritans after they met Jesus and declared, he is the savior of the world. You may not think much of Jesus today, but follow the path of the woman. She gained a new understanding of him because she didn't leave him. She interacted with him. She listened to him. And he never left her. Don't know what you think of Jesus, but he will never leave you. Stay on a journey Talk with him. Listen to what he has to say. Don't hide your sin from her, from him. Explain it away. Justify it. Face your need. Face your thirst. Listen to Jesus. He offers you living water, He offers that living water to every one of us. He can quench our thirst because he was thirsty on the cross. He was thirsty because he no longer had spiritual life. He was separated from God the Father because God in his holiness and his justice reigned his wrath that we deserve down on Jesus. And so Jesus cried out, as God the Father left him, God the Holy Spirit left him, he cried out, I thirst. He did that so we would never have to be thirsty again. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and I do pray that what we've looked at this morning will be used by your Spirit to speak into those who think they are unworthy, to feel the depth of the love of God in Christ Jesus for them, to realize the magnitude of that sacrifice and to, to accept what Christ has done for them and not say, Lord, your sacrifice was not big enough for my sin it is big enough for your sin. And if you do, if you disrespect Jesus today, Lord, meet those people. Ring the words of Jesus over and over into their ears and ultimately into their hearts. Let them know you won't leave you will continue to pursue them even if they push push you aside Lord thank you for that incredible love of a woman who is a needy sinner and of a religious leader who is also a needy sinner thank you for your love for all of us for God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.